Welcome to the Redeemer Podcast. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit makingmuchofjesus.org. We hope you enjoyed the talk and invite you to visit us next Sunday at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Amen. Please take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 33. If you don't have a Bible, there should be maybe one around you, or you can go to esv.org. And go to Romans 11, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and that area. Today we wrap up our series on the five solos of the Reformation and how these are not just neat tidbits from church history, but that these were kind of the resolutions, the anthems, or the the rocket fuel of the Reformation. And they still are today. But these are the kind of the Tecron. I remember that used to be now Chevron with Tecron, kind of this additive. This is the Tecron that we need to remember for the Christian life. And really the first four that we've looked at, Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, have all been barreling forward to the final one today, Soli Deo Gloria, glory to God alone. This is the driving force behind them all. And what they're saying is, is that in the Reformation and today, that in the church, the reason we gather, what we're after, what we're trending towards, what we're singing about, what we're listening to the Bible for, why we serve one another, it is all for the glory and the honor and the praise of God. It's all His. And then, it gets smaller than in the Christian life, that your own life, everything you do, your job, your money, your talents, your possessions, the Bible is saying all of these are headed to one place for the glory of God. All glory, all honor, all praise is God's. And then we can blow it up as big as we can that not just the church, not just our lives, but the entire universe from a little goldfish all the way to a nebula galaxy, all of these things are God's and exist for God, for his name, for his fame, and for his glory. This is the essence of not just the Reformation, but the entire Christian life. The Bible, soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. So let's begin reading in verse 33. And since these words come to us in the very authority of King Jesus, let's stand in honor of the reading of the word of Christ. And the Spirit says, beginning in verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Holy Father, now, right now, by the spirit of the risen Christ, would you help us to perceive the depths of of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, that we would join our brother Paul and be 
in a state of marveling at your wonder, would there be a lot more wow in us today because of you? And would there be a lot less ho-hum? Help us now, Lord, to see your glory. The glory of your Son, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, for whom we have received grace upon grace. And will we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, be transformed from one degree of glory to another? Oh, Lord, help us. Would we agree with verse 33? Not just with lip service, but from the heart, from hands, from our lives. To you be glory forever and ever. In the mighty name of your resurrected son, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Over Christmas break, we went to Louisiana to be with my wife's family, and at their house was this puzzle. And it wasn't any normal puzzle. It was one of these kind of 3D geometric puzzles to where you would put it all, and it was all, all the pieces basically looked the same. They're all wood blocks, all with these kind of just long cuts, and somehow this thing was often together. And so we probably spent hours all together trying to put this thing together. And as we're working on it, and working on it with Juan, um, and this is Nellie's stepdad, and we're working on it together, and I'm just going, Juan, do you have the picture of what this thing looks like? No. What? <laughs> Juan, how are we going to do this? He's like, I kind of remember. I kind of looks like, okay. So we kept putting it together, and then we would do this one structure and look at it. Oh, cool. Now it kind of hit the table, bonk, it would all fall over. Rats. And then we would do something. Oh, man, that looks like it. But we had all these pieces left over. And I, we're not doing the right thing. And we, do you have the instructions? No. Do you have the box? No. Like, we're never going to do this, ever. And he said, let's just go to YouTube. All right. So we went to YouTube, found the puzzle, and even found all the steps for how to put it together. Going, oh, finally, that's what it looks like. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. And we were actually able to do it. Because it's like, Juan, well, we're never going to do this. We don't know where we're headed. We don't know what we're aiming for. We're just kind of shooting in the dark, and we're failing over and over again. We have to know where we're headed. we got to know what this is all is coming towards. That is how a lot of Christians live their lives. That we don't know where we're headed. We don't know what all these things in our lives are adding up to. Our jobs, our marriages, our, our work, our finances, our singing at church. All of these things are kind of the geometric puzzle of our life. And going, what is the end result of this? Is it God's idea or is it ours? I mean, so let's just think about where we are. As a Christian, if you're a Christian today, what is the point of your life? Why, why even come here today? Why work? Why get married? Why have children? There are many answers to all of these questions. Well, you know, I love this person, or I've got to have a job to pay for food and have a roof over my head, all those kinds of things. Yeah, okay, fine. But an atheist has all those same reasons. So there must be something uniquely distinct about how a Christian answers these questions. 
So what is uniquely Christian about being a Christian and all that we do? Why serve one another? Why forgive one another? Why be kind to one another? Why, why don't we just do whatever we want to do, whether it's sinful or not? The ultimate answer has to be, to all of these, the ultimate answer has to be because of the gospel, because Jesus of Nazareth died in my place and rose again from the dead, I am no longer living for myself. But for his sake, but for his fame, but for his name, but for his glory and, and for his honor, for his praise and for his renown, this is the Christian life. That's the puzzle. That's the completed puzzle piece, his fame and his glory. As Christians, we follow the scriptures, not just because they're the scriptures. We do what we do, not just because it's what we're supposed to do, but because we have been liberated by the cross of Jesus and his resurrection to now make much of him, to now live for his glory. But what is the glory of God? That's kind of a churchy word we use a lot, and we just kind of say it. What is the glory of God? Whenever we talk about it, it can sound kind of nebulous, kind of intangible, foggy. It's not foggy. It doesn't have to be that way. The glory, we can, think of, we can think about the glory of God like this. The glory of God is the going public, the, the manifestation, the, the reveal of the omni-awesomeness of God. The glory of God is kind of the reveal, the manifestation, the going public of the omni-awesomeness that is God. It, it is the holiness of God, the majesty of God, the wonder of God, the, the woe-ness of God, His grace, His patience, His undepletable vat of mercy, the goodness of God, the godness of God, all made known. This is the glory of God. Of God. It's like when a fire hydrant is cracked open and water is just pouring forth and again and again. It just doesn't stop. The glory of God is the pouring forth, the making known of the omni-awesomeness, the godness of God. And we see it in the Bible. We see it in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The creation is making known the omni awesomeness of God. I mean, I just saw a video last night on Facebook and just sat in awe how deep the ocean is. You could take Mount Everest, and if you could, if you could cut Mount Everest like a loaf of bread, just cut Mount Everest off, and then take it, put it upside down, drop it in the ocean, the ocean is deeper still. The highest point on earth is not enough to get to the bottom of the ocean. God making known his might, his creative power. So we see it in the Bible. We perceive it by faith. We, we see it in the gospel, the glory of God, in the face of Jesus Christ. And so that's his glory. And then there's three ways you talk about glory. The glory of God, and then we give glory to God. So what do, how do we give glory to God? that he's lacking glory, what does it mean? It means that we, we assess his glory and then we accept it and we go, yeah, you are that awesome. So to give God glory is to 
assess it, and then you accept it. You align with it. Yes, you ascribe to him. That is true about you. And to live for the glory of God is to be aligned with it. Since that's true, I'm living like this. Since you did rise from the dead for my sins, I'm going to live like this now. I'm going to pursue this, not that. So that was three A's. Assess, align, ascribe. I'm going to take them and make it just two, okay? We can think about living to the glory of God, the glory of God alone with two A's. That's being amazed by him and being aligned with him. Being amazed by God and being aligned with his amazingness. I think verses 33 and 35, 33 through 35, and that's a simple outline of the text. It is Paul is being amazed. And then verse 36 is he showing us, here's how you align to it. And here's why I think the first part is being amazed by the glory of God is the very first word in verse 33. Oh, that's a deep theological word. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. This is a giant word. This is a word filled with wonder and delight, an explosive declaration of the awesomeness of God. I mean, Paul has expounded the ways of God in the gospel for 11 chapters now. And he doesn't sit back and stroke his chin and go, that's pretty good stuff. He sits back and goes, oh, God is awesome. God is amazing. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God that we would be dead in our sins and that he would save us. That we would have fallen short woefully of the glory of God, deserving death, and yet he would save us. That we can be justified by faith. That though we are dead in our sins, we can be made alive in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that though we do the things that we don't want to do and the things that we do want to do, we don't do them. But though wretched people that we are, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord that we can be saved. And that now there is no condemnation for us because we are in Christ Jesus. And that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And that whoever confesses with his mouth and believes in his heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you can be saved. And even though that God interacted with the Gentiles first, or with the Jews first, he brings in another branch of Gentiles, us, to save us. I basically just summarized the book of Romans for you. And Paul says at the end of all that, oh, oh, how great God is. Paul is anything but bored with God. You cannot be bored with God. It is a crime to be bored by God. It's actually impossible to be bored by God. The only way you can be bored by God is if you think you are beholding the glory of God, but in fact, you are beholding something else. You're beholding something that is non-God. He is marveling at the glory of God, the depths, the riches, the wisdom and knowledge. The glory of God is not just one thing. It is the manifold presentation of all of the godness of God. It's like a kaleidoscope of divine majesty. And Paul says, wow, 
there should be a lot more wow in the Christian life. As we read our Bibles, you read about Jesus walking on the water. And you have the picture. Sometimes we think that that water is nice and still and Jesus just kind of get a little swag walking on it. No. It's a storm. The waves are cresting and Jesus just walking on top of the waves like it's no big deal. And the disciples are freaked out. And then it says they marvel. What kind of man is this? We should be reading our Bibles and thinking, wow, what kind of God is this? If that never happens, we're not reading rightly. If we never sit back and go, oh, man, God's amazing. Oh, the depths of the riches, the wisdom and knowledge of God. And here's what Paul gives us some ammo. Here's some ways you should be amazed. Look at verse 34. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Here Paul says, okay, who's going to give God advice? This is why he's saying how amazing is his wisdom and his knowledge, his judgments, his ways, all the things that God does. No one has a better idea for how to run the universe than God. What could the triune God possibly need from you? Nothing. What insight do you have that the triune God would go, oh, yeah, that was pretty good. It's not happening. And this is important. Because without believing this, you really won't be in wonder of God's brilliance. Because you still have a little bit, I'm, I'm a big deal. You still have a little anchorman theology going on. I'm kind of a big deal. But instead, it's looking at the Lord going, he's a big deal. And it's important because there are things that happen in this world. Things that are happening in the Middle East. Things that are happening in our lives right now, this week. That can, that can kind of bring a little dust up in our hearts. And we may not voice it, but we think, God, I don't like this. How could you? How could you let this happen? I would not have done that. Why didn't you do this? Be careful. Verse 34, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who's, who's been his counselor? Who's going to tell God to lie down on the couch while we tell him how things should occur? Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge. How inscrutable are his ways. He is beyond scrutiny. Verse 35. Another O. Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Who has ever given anything to God that God is now in their debt? God is not in our debt. We aren't in a position where God is obligated to do something for us. Salvation was not an obligation. It was all of grace. That's why Ephesians 1 says that he saved us according to the purpose of his will, according to the praise of his glorious grace. The gospel is a free gift of God's grace, of being united with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. This, this brings us into a whole new world. And it makes me think of, because I've seen this movie so many times lately, of Aladdin. That's the, the gospel is a magic carpet ride into a whole new world of indescribable feelings, of unbelievable sights. Don't you dare close your eyes. Brings you into a new way of thinking. 
and feeling and, and, and doing. Because the gospel is now, you behold it with unveiled face, lest you think I'm just kind of making up metaphors here. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we behold the glory of God with unveiled face. And we see the grand display of his glory, and now we turn and we give God all the glory for what he's done in the gospel. And this is really where the four other solas, where they all lead up to. Scripture alone gives glory to God. The fact that Scripture alone is the final authority in the church, on earth, in our lives, over God's people. No pope, no priest, no pastor, no other fellow believer has final authority over our lives. God's word. Because it's God's word. And no man gets the glory except God alone. We're preaching his word. gives him glory. Not my book. Not a book Joseph Smith wrote. Not a book from Mary Baker Eddy. His book alone. Grace alone gives glory to God. Because if we deserved it, if it was by our effort and by our goodness, then we deserve some praise. We deserve some applause. But Ephesians 2 says that no man may boast. God gets the glory because it's all by his grace. It's by faith alone. It's how we're saved, not by works. It's not our morality, not our religiosity, not our performing of some kind of good religious deed. If that were true, then we get credit. But it's to God's glory alone. Scripture alone gives glory to God alone. Grace alone gives glory to God alone. Faith alone gives glory to God alone. And we're saved in Christ alone. Gives glory to God alone. We have faith not in ourselves, not anything we have done or could do, but in Jesus Christ alone. No pope, no priest, no pastor, no martyr, no saint, no Virgin Mary, no angel can save us can be our mediator, can be our faithful high priest, can be our advocate, can be the mediator between God and man, only the man Christ Jesus, and that gives glory to God alone. God has engineered the universe to bring him glory. Sometimes we think we're in the Truman Show. That movie resonated with so many people because that's the subtle desire in our hearts that we're the center of the world. What we have to do is get out of it and see, if, there's, if this is a Truman Show, it's not us. We're the bit actors. This is God's show. Everything is happening for his glory. Everything is occurring for his praise. At the end of it all, it is all about his name and his fame. We are even saved for his glory. It benefits us, but it's for his fame. 1 John 2.12 says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. Why? For his namesake. Isaiah 48.11, the Lord says, for my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Psalm 106.8, yet he saved them for his namesake that he might make known his mighty power. You and I were saved for his name and that he might make known his mighty power to the earth, to the angels, to Lucifer, and to all who will behold his glory on the final day. And the Christian hears this and rejoices. These are kind of some John the Baptist-y kind of verses. 
You must decrease. He must increase. This, these verses bring us love. It was for his sake, not, not even ultimately yours. There's an old Michael W. Smith song I remember we used to sing at, a church, at my church growing up. Like a rose trampled on the ground, he took the fall and thought of me above all. Wrong. He was not thinking of me above all. I was there, not above all. His glory above all. Your sins are forgiven for his namesake above all. For his own sake he does it. This is why when we're amazed by the glory of God, the Christian sits back and goes, yes, of course you did it for your own sake. You are that awesome. You are the only one worthy that everything in the universe should occur and should happen and should be weighed and calculated for your glory, not mine. You are that wonderful. You are that awesome. And we love you because you loved us. And so we live for you. Now you are aligned to the glory of God. You're amazed by his glory, and then you're aligned for it. Psalm 115.1 became kind of a battle cry of the Reformation. Psalm 115.1 says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name. Give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Psalm 25, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt for it is great. The Psalms are teaching us how to pray. God, do this for your name. God, do this for your name's sake. When you pray for things in your life, the, the ultimate reason why you should want these things, and, and I think how we speak to God is, God, do this for your glory. It sounds like your will be done. Psalm 31, for you are my rock and my fortress, and for your namesake you lead me and guide me. Psalm 79, 9 says, help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your namesake. Psalm 143, for your namesake, O Lord, preserve my life and your righteousness. Bring my soul out of trouble in Jeremiah 14, 7. Though our iniquities testify against us, act, O oh Lord, because we deserve it. Now, for your namesake, for our backslidings are many, and we have sinned against you. And we could go on and on and on. Once you are amazed by the glory of God, you behold his awesomeness, and you don't shrug your shoulders and go about the same way. You're changed. You're aligned now with him in sync with his passions. If God is after the sake of his name, and you go, me too. I'm in. I'm in for the king of the ages, immortal, glory, forever and ever. Now you want to live for God's name. This is why in verse 36, it ends with, to him be glory forever. If all these things are true, not just what we've read, Romans 1 through 11, all these things are true. To him be glory forever. And especially, let's just focus on the first part of verse 36. For from him, through him, and to him are all things. All things are trending to his praise, to his glory. To him be honor forever and ever. Amen. The end of Romans, Romans 16, to the only wise God be glory forevermore. 1 Timothy 
To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever. 2 Peter 3, 18, to him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. And we could go on and on with these two. What we see is that the resolve now of those resurrected with Jesus, it is the resolve of the Christian life to say, to him be glory now and forever. I'm in. And how do we do that? In our thinking, in our feeling, in our affections, and in our doing. In our thinking, in our feeling, and in our doing, our living. Verse 36, let's just begin with that one. From from him are all things. If you believe that phrase, from him are all things, this reorders how you see the universe. Everything. Where did Neptune come from? From him. Where did the Pacific Ocean come from? And the way that the waves go, and the way they crest, they have that little crest, and then the little white, you know, shows up, and then they, and it sounds so nice. Where did that come from? Him. And why does that sound soothing? You know, it's so nice to take a nap on the beach. I, I, I despise the beach otherwise, just the sand and the heat and all that stuff, but the, the noise is so relaxing. Why? Why does that sound relaxing and not annoying? God could have made it to sound like radio static. And you'd be like, oh, I'm not going to the beach crazy. Isn't it? It's so annoying. Where did that come from? From him. And I've talked about how I love to drink Topo Chico. This blessed mineral water from the mountain in Mexico. God invented that. God put it there. And the coffee I had this morning from a small farm in Guatemala, 1,800 meters above sea level. Who who did this? God invented it. The feeling of warmth from a fireplace. The crackle, the smell. From God. The emotion receptors that go off. When, when you hold your baby. It's like, in both services, it's amazing. Just usually that corner, sometimes over here, but it's like baby central back there, and it's awesome. You know the smell that a baby has? Oh, it's amazing. They, they usually smell good. <laughs> Where did that come from? Not from Johnson & Johnson. God invented that smell. That feeling you get when a roller coaster drops. Oh, it's so much fun. The feeling you get, where did that come from? God did that. The athletic ability of Cam Newton as he runs and dives and jumps and embarrasses everybody. Where did that come from? God put it in his muscles and in his brain. Laughter. There's a great story about Spurgeon. Him and a buddy are walking through the woods, and they're laughing, just telling jokes, having a great time. And Spurgeon stops and says, let's just thank the Lord for laughter. Because he knew, where does it come from? It comes from God. God invented physics. God invented Aristotelian logic. God invented chemistry. You begin to see, if this verse is true, from him are all things, then yes, glory to you for it all. It all came from you. You are the source, and you are the agent through which all of these things come. You're worthy of it all. And we have to pause here and acknowledge that 
is it's easy to talk about all the fun and happy things. But Christianity is an authentic religion. It does not turn a blind eye to the sufferings of this world. The book of Job is in the Bible. So what about that? We don't have time to go through God and the existence of evil and all these things. We have sermons on Job that may be helpful for you, but what we can say is that God, God even uses evil things in the world for His glory, for His purposes. And the prime example is the cross of Christ. The most horrific thing to ever occur in the history of the world, God is able and does bend these things towards his namesake. And we don't know all the things that happen in our life. We may not know the individual occurrences and why and explanations, but we know the overarching reason why, that he is working all things according to the counsel of his will. As a plan for the fullness of time, And he works all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Whatever it is, we know that we don't know the mind of the Lord. That we aren't his counselor. And that God is creating and bringing about good in the final end. From him and through him and to him are all things. The great quote from Philip Yancey that there'll never be at the end of judgment day. No one's ever going to be able to say, that was unfair. All things in the universe, and you zero in, and even all things in salvation. From him, where did your faith come from? From him. Where did the grace come from? From him. Where did the Bible come from? From him. Christ alone. Him. All things in salvation. New life, forgiveness, freedom, a clean conscience. Freedom from sin and His grace and His mercy, the inheritance to come, all from Him. To give glory to God is now to crucify the pursuit of self-glory. To give glory to God is to crucify the pursuit of self-glory. At the cross, Jesus dies for our sins and yours if you want Him to. And from Him, From him now comes everything you need for life and godliness and eternity by grace through faith. And so now when you've been crucified with Christ, it means I have died to the world along with its passions. Galatians 6. I have crucified the pursuit of self-glory. I have burned the bridge of self-exaltation. And I can no longer view myself as a lone ranger, my way. My life, my ideas, my priorities, my will. But now it is to see myself following in the steps of a no longer dead Nazarene. Well, all of life, your will, your glory. And that's why, this is why now, why I went over all those things from laughter to Cam Newton to a, an, a roller coaster. 1 Corinthians 10.31 begins to make sense. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It'll be all for his will all for his fame, all according to his word. That even I'm drinking that coffee and having a medium rare steak. God, you invented this. This is why the Bible says that our jobs, we don't work as unto men, but as unto the Lord. Johann Sebastian Bach, at the end of his compositions on his sheet music, he would write three little letters. S. D-G. 
soli deo gloria. Everyone. Glory to God alone. Our work, our activities, our home, we should have in our minds that same scribble underneath, S-D-G. On our paychecks, what if we just started, we were cashing that thing in, we just started adding, just mentally, maybe the bank won't let you do it, just S-D-G. When I think about my life, all things that happen, we got to sit back and go, God, glorify you. I want to do your will. I want this to be for your fame and, and your name, not myself. I must decrease. You must increase. I want you to be made known in this somehow. So how do I glorify you? How do I honor you? I mean, and it's good and bad. In the confusing, in the bewildering, go, why is this even happening? God's, how, how do I glorify you? I mean, even this past week, we went on a little staff retreat. And before we left town, we went out to eat at BJ's Brewhouse in Willowbrook. As we leave the restaurant, I walk into my truck and I look on the ground and go, man, somebody broke a bunch of beer bottles right by my truck. I look up my window. Oh, no, my car got broken into. Oh, no. I look in. Oh, my bag's gone. Oh, my duffel bag's gone. My, my briefcase that had my, I mean, my <laughs> biblical Hebrew textbook, my pens, my reading glasses, all my nerd stuff, it, gone. My Bible. And then my duffel bag with my clothes and my shoes is just gone. And in Kevin's briefcase with his laptop and his iPad and his Bible, all just gone. My allergy medicine, gone, you know? All that stuff you just don't ever really think about. And then Kevin and I are talking about it on the way because we had to go back to my house. Because I, uh, I just thought, well, let's just put a trash bag on it and just roll. He's like, dude, you don't have any clothes. I'm like, oh, yeah, I do need clothes. All right, let's go back to my house. So we go to my house and we're thinking about all the things that could have happened how all this unfolded, that the Stafford Street just happened to be that week, last week. And then we, of course, the first thing had to be that Monday. And then we went out to eat because it was going to be Carolyn's birthday the next day. So it's really her fault, <laughs> wherever she is. And we went to that restaurant because I had decided, let, let's grill fajitas Tuesday night. And so they said, well, we don't want to do fajitas two nights in a row. Let's not go to a Tex-Mex restaurant for Carolyn's birthday. As though that would be a bad thing, to have Tex-Mex two nights in a row. So they picked, I think she picked BJ's Brewhouse, her fault again. <laughs> and I thought we were going to go to the one in the Woodlands, because that was on our way. But we went to the one in Willowbrook, so her husband, Pastor Barry, could join us. And so Dale, Christina, Christina's husband, our children's director, so he could join us. And I'm sitting there. And I drove, too. Kevin was going to drive to the restaurant, but I drove so because the rest of Kevin's family was coming up on Tuesday, so they wouldn't have two cars up there, so I drove. And then even when we pulled up to the restaurant, there were no spots available in the front, only in the back, and I circled the parking lot twice because I was already feeling, man, I don't want to park back here in Willowbrook. Someone just got shot here the day before. This is a sketchy place. I just don't want my car to get broken into. I'm already thinking this. I loop through the parking lot. Oh, there's nothing. I take the one spot. I even pass up another one. I take this one because there's a light there, right under the light. And in our neighborhood, like 20 cars that got broken into like two weeks ago, and except mine. So maybe these guys hunted me down. I don't know. <laughs> Circled around, found the spot, walked in at 6.30, came out at 8. Here we are. This wasn't outside of God's control. 
He's got a purpose in it. I do not know what the immediate purpose is, but he's going to be glorified in it. Maybe it's our testimony of trusting him, not getting angry. I don't think I got angry. I don't think I got mad. It's like, oh, man, that's a bummer. Well, it's just stuff. It all get worked out. Maybe testimony to the police. Maybe insurance. I mean, who knows? Maybe our God showing us that we should not glory in possessions. Or maybe it was just adding more crimes to the rap sheet of these criminals. I mean, I have no idea what God is doing. But the response in our life must reflexively become, how do I glorify you? How do I honor you? How do I follow you? This is really asking the same question. Saying, how do I follow you is ultimately saying, I want to glorify you. How do I obey you is just saying, how do I glorify you? How do I honor you is saying, how do I glorify you? When you want to do his will, follow his word. Love your neighbor as yourself. When you walk in kindness, when you serve your spouse, when you forgive one another, when you serve one another, all these things glorify God. These margin moments in your life, they glorify God. Because whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you can do to the glory of God. It's like now you can look at that completed puzzle and you see where it's supposed to go. So is your life dialed into this purpose, God's glory? Or is your glory, your fame, your name, your will, your way still prominent? I think one question we must ask ourselves regularly, maybe even daily as we have time to consider the things of God, ask ourselves, has the resurrection of Jesus reconstituted my life, my aim, my values, my priorities, or would I basically be the same? If the resurrection of Jesus has not reordered your life, but you would basically be the same person if you just cut Jesus out, you must examine your life and see what you hold dear. Do you believe in him? Do you Christian, believe that your life now exists for the glory of God. That when you believe God is sovereign and you don't give in to anxiety, you glorify God. Because God is good, when you're content in life, it brings Him glory. Because God is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, that when you go to the throne of grace, when you're anxious, when you're worried, you bring glory to God. Because God is our Father. When we are kind and we love one another, it brings Him glory. When we're amazed by His glory and we repent of sin and we confess sin and we walk in that newness of life, it brings Him glory. When you submit to Scripture, you bring glory to God. When you trust His grace alone to save you, you bring glory to God. When you walk by faith, you give glory to God. When you look to Christ alone, you give glory to God. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Will you give God glory forever? You will. There's two options. God will receive his glory either through you having faith 
in Jesus Christ, his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God will be glorified through the gospel. Or you will give God glory as you suffer under his wrath for all eternity. But you can have new life in King Jesus if you look to him and believe. Believe that scripture alone testifies that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the death and resurrection of Christ alone. And now, to the glory of God alone. Let's pray together.